outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 172, and today we're back with another rut radio report in which we're sharing updates on current deer activity and behavior across the country this week. And we've got a very exciting story from one of our very own Wired to Hunt team members. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And we're back today with a new episode of our Rut Radio series. It's early October, and as we do on each week's Rut Radio episode, we're going to be checking in with a handful of deer hunters from all across the country to hear about deer activity, deer behavior, uh, the conditions that are present right now, tactics that are working right now. And, and even thoughts on what we can expect in the coming days. So that's what we're going to be talking about here over the next half hour or so. And with me, as he is on each episode of Rut Radio, is a guy that I used to like a lot. A guy that maybe maybe is making me very jealous though now. This man is named Spencer Newharth, and he is the man of the hour of the week. He is He is now reaching legendary status in my mind. Spencer, you pulled off a hunt of a lifetime, didn't you? Yes, I am in a good mood today. <laughs> and and I know we've got a bunch of guests that you have lined up that are going to talk about stuff all over the country, and I'm sure they're going to be great, but I don't give a damn right now. I just want to talk to you. I want you to tell us what happened to you the other day. Um, what is your rut or what is your rut radio report for us today? Uh, well, Mark, I shot a big buck. <laughs> Come on. That's like a, that's like an under, that's an understatement. If I ever heard you killed a, you killed a buck of just, uh, unbelievable proportions. You killed a giant. You, you killed, you killed the kind of buck that like makes me cry just a little bit. It's crazy. Even when you were the killer, you cry a little emotion so yeah yeah so t- tell me everything tell me how how did this hunt because when we talked last time 
you had been talking about this public land western South Dakota hunt you were going on. And we had, you know, ambitions to share that on Instagram and all sorts of stuff. So, so maybe start there. Tell us what happened there, how your plans changed, and how you ended up killing this buck in a totally different part of the state. All right. Well, we talked about it a little bit last time. I was going to go west. My idea there was to pick out some public ground that would be overlooked. And I was in the heart of mule deer country, but I was going to try to find some whitetails. So I focused on some ground that just looked like textbook whitetail habitat with river bottoms um, and hardwoods. Got there, uh, having never seen it in person, and was immediately pretty turned off um, because there was a lot of cattle on it. And I knew that was a possibility, um, but until you see it and uh, you scout a couple times and hunt it, uh, it wasn't until then that I really lost confidence. Mm-hmm. Man, that's exactly what happened to me in Montana. Yeah, um, it, the area wasn't absent of deer. Uh, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that they were all on private ground. Um, the public just couldn't compete with the lush um, grass and brush that was just on the other side of the fence. So there were deer there, and I suspect there will be in like three weeks when the cattle are out on the public. Um, but for now, it just would not be a productive place to hunt. And so after like three days there, I cut the trip short and headed back east to where I'm from and anytime in the fall you have free days uh those free days are just too valuable to spend doing something that you don't have any confidence in so that was why I decided to come back home makes sense so what happened then what what, uh, you ended up in the tree again right yes um so the the stuff that I've been hunting for the last um you know five or six years since I've gotten really into archery hunting um I decided I was gonna finish out my weekend hunting that stuff instead we had um hard south wind for two straight nights and so the first night was friday night um i got in the stand i'm hunting um i'm hunting a cornfield and there was a lot of movement and there was a lot of movement early um enough that made me want to come back the next night and i can do that in this area because with that corn i'm easy to i'm able to get in and out very easy and so the following night, I came back and it was uh, a lot less action this time. But can I can I interrupt? Yes. Can you tell me tell me about this specific setup? So you're on the edge of a cornfield, but but why why do you think this would be a good spot early season? Um, give me a few more details. I want to paint this picture in my mind. Well, I like the idea of low risk hunts right now. Um, I want to be out in the woods, but I don't want to mess anything up um, for the end of October and beginning of November, and so. This is a place, like I said, I'm confident I can get in and out of easily. Um, I'm probably going to see deer. I'm, I'm not going to feel like uh, you know I'm bored out of my mind. And it, it's just a low risk area that I can hunt. And in early season, it makes sense because there is a lot of corn there. And I have a love hate relationship with corn, um, standing corn. That is the, the pros of it is that it's a, a great insulator for the deer. Um, you know, there's roads around and, and homes, and they can be in that corner and have no idea any of that stuff is going on. Uh, like I said, I can get in and out very easy with that standing corn. And the cons of it, though, are that um, it, it's too good of an insulator sometimes. The deer can find a low spot in there, and they can bed in a slough, and, you know, they can eat the corn. You'll never see them until come harvest. Uh, the other problem is getting a shot in those situations. If that deer is even in the first row of corn, uh, he could be 10 yards away, but I'm not going to have a shot. It's just really hard to get an arrow in there. And so 
I picked the corn with not a lot of confidence, but I thought I would still see deer, and that would be a nice change of pace from what I was just doing out west. Yeah, and did you know? Did you know that there was? Were there mature bucks in the area? To your knowledge, did you have some deer on camera, or that you'd scouted that you knew about, or anything like that? So this was my year of minimalist scouting. I just got married in June. I moved into a new house in August, and so uh, my scouting, kind of by choice, and because I had no choice, um, was almost nothing in this area in particular. I didn't even have a camera up yet this year, and uh, I was planning on hanging one this weekend um never got around to it obviously so <laughs> i was just hunting this based off um historical sits i knew there would be deer around but no to answer your question i did not know there was a deer of this caliber there okay so you go in it's a low impact hunt it's a good general area for early season movement but you weren't going to mess better things up you know too early and you're you're hanging and hunting based on historical data and now it's day number two Yes, and uh, I did not have the same action that I had the night before, but it was 7.20 p.m. Sunset was at 7.10, so we were in that last, you know, half hour of daylight, and it was the the golden hour, and here comes this big buck up the ridge um, far down the cornfield. When I first saw him, it was 200 yards. So I get my binos on him, and immediately I know this is a shooter. The problem is he's coming straight at me, um, walking. Can, can you, can you just you, you pull you pull your binos up? You see this is a shooter. What else can you tell me about what this deer looks like? Can you describe this buck? Because he's he's uh yeah, he's worth describing. <laughs> um, so although, like I said, I didn't know that he was around this year. Um, I knew this buck from 2014 and. When I pulled up the binos, I knew who he was, and he has a very distinguished um, kicker on his right G2, and then he has these big bladed brow tines, and, and so I knew who he was right away. And then he just has um, a really heavy and wide mainframe 4x4. So I knew this buck, and I didn't spend much time uh, looking through the binoculars at him because he was walking right at me, and I, I didn't want to make any extra movement. So I glassed him for a couple seconds, Put the binos away and got ready, and I was just tore up watching him come in because, <laughs> I mean, I like to think that buck fever doesn't get me, but it does, and <laughs> yeah, I had to watch him for probably five or six minutes make his way towards me, and at any point, he could have hit a trail and went into the corn and been gone, and I thought he was going to do that the entire time, but he kept coming. He was at 150 and then 100, and I thought, man, this might happen, and he, he keeps coming, and all of a sudden he's at 25 yards. Same thing, though, he's coming right at me. So I, I don't have a shot. And he pauses and messes around, and then he's at 20, 15, 10. I still don't have a shot. Oh, um, Yes. So I, I'm just, <laughs> at this point, I'm going to let him walk by me and see if I can get a shot after he's beyond me. I, I did not set this stand up with the intention of uh, smoking a deer at 8 yards, but that was <laughs> That was what ended up happening at eight yards. He finally turned. Uh, he gave me a quartering two shot, and I was able to sneak an arrow uh, right behind his shoulder. But I, I knew it was a good hit. Um, I, I saw the arrow have a clean pass through, and, and he turned and ran. The problem with a deer being at eight yards, uh, when you draw back, it's all body in your line of vision. And so uh, it can be hard to distinguish what was a good shot because 
the time between you releasing the arrow and pulling your you know head back to see where the arrow hits, it, it's nothing. I felt confident though. Saw the arrow go through. He takes off. He does a U-turn and runs back about 50 yards. Uh, and I, I didn't see him come from beyond this tree. And so I, I knew he at least bedded down there or, or was maybe down altogether. I waited about 15 minutes and grabbed my arrow. Because it was so windy, it was like 25-mile-an-hour winds that night, I knew I could slip out of my sand, check the arrow, and, and see what was going on. Well, I had dark blood um, that I thought was a heart shot because I knew I hit him low. And so I, I gave him a little bit more time, and I, I snuck up to where I saw him go in, and, and sure enough, he was laying there. Problem was, he picks up his head that I thought oh, was, no. I thought his head laying down was him dead. It was not. Picks up his head, looks at me, jumps out of his bed, and runs over the ridge. Um, so then I was even more tore up. I, I knew oh, I, yeah. I knew I messed up. It was a, a very amateur thing to do, but I just had to deal with it. So I backed out. Called a couple buddies, gave him uh, two hours. We came back, picked up blood, and, and found him within 30 minutes. He only went a couple hundred yards, and, and he was down. And he had been down for a while. I just uh, should not have got him out of that first bed, but I was extremely relieved. So, what ended, did the shot end up being where you thought it was, and he just survived longer than you would have expected, or were you a little farther back, or what do you think? It was low, like I thought. The problem with those quartering two shots um, like this was I, I missed his heart by a half an inch, but I caught so much of the rest of his body. I got uh, lung, liver, and then on the exit, it took some guts with it too. And mm. So just missing the heart a little bit on a quartering two shot can result in you catching everything else. So Yeah, and probably probably just the one lung too, right? And those deer notoriously can, can last longer than you would think. It does, yeah. Luckily, uh, everything inside of him was soup, and it, it had uh, pooled up, and he left me a pretty good trail. Um, so I, I was able to pick up the trail and find him. I, I had to be more aggressive than I wanted to, though, knowing that after I jumped out of his bed, it was a liver hit. You'd like to give those deer, ideally, you know, three, four, five hours, but we had rain coming at 1 a.m., so if I was going to find him based off blood, um, I, I was going to have to go in sooner than I wanted. But it worked out, thankfully. Yeah, it sure did. What was that moment like when you did walk up on him? Man, it, it was a happy moment. In the last year, I've gotten married. I moved into a new house. I saw my favorite team, the Vikings, play. I saw my favorite country artist, Garth Brooks, play. And just nothing can replicate this. Like, there's just no other thing in the world that can give you this kind of feeling like <laughs> don't let your wife hear that <laughs> oh man that is i'm so happy for you man when you sent me that picture i just freaked he is uh if if anyone listening right now hasn't seen this deer you gotta head over to either spencer's social media or the wired hunt facebook page and check out this buck um just a beautiful beautiful deer i mean and and just I mean, like you said, he's a he's an eight pointer basically with junk, um, just a monstrous massive eight pointer with flyers off his twos and these crazy huge brow tines, and and not to mention maybe as impressive if not more impressive, is he he is so mature. I mean that one picture where you've got him pointed towards the camera, his his face just kind of smushes into his huge neck and chest. I mean, just a Brahma bull of a deer. 
as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and so like I said, I, I knew this deer from 2014, uh, and at that time I thought he was probably three and a half or four and a half, making him six and a half or seven and a half now. Um, he scored 166 and two eighths, and that was bigger than I thought when I when I walked up him and I was thinking 150s because he is an eight pointer. It's hard to you know reach any higher than that, um, but his width and, and the extra stuff he had going on pushed him to that point. Was that net or gross? That was his gross score was the 166 and two eighth. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, shoot, I mean, from looking at these pictures, I would have guessed bigger than that. Like when you, you sent me an original estimation that was higher than that, and I believed you. I was like, holy smokes, this, yeah, no doubt. This thing looks looks like a booner plus some, but uh, – so I was surprised to hear when the when the final came in at 166. Either I mean, it's gosh, it's a giant deer, <laughs> 166 inch mainframe eight pointer. Are you kidding me? Um, man, I, I'm just uh, I'm very happy for you, dude. Awesome, awesome hunt. Way to get it done. Um, now this is rut radio, and we are trying to figure out you know what's happening right now. Why are things happening right now? So can you do you have any like? Have you had time to analyze the situation at all? Like, why do you think movement was the way it was those two days you were hunting? That was pretty good. Why do you think you killed him? Was there any you know outside condition or any other factor you can point to? I think it's a combination of a couple things. Um, one of the big ones being is just the low, low pressure. Um, typically, I'd be in there in June, hanging a camera or hanging you know three or four cameras. Uh, I'd be in there in July hanging stands. I'd be in there in August checking cameras and I didn't do any of that. I mean, when I killed him, that was literally, literally my second time on the property this year. Um, as far as why they were moving so well, other reasons, one, I think it's just been the, the stability and the mild conditions. Um, we have been in this long stretch now of like mid sixties for a high and, um, like high forties for a low and and I think that just kept him on, you know, any kind of pattern. It didn't mess with him at all. We didn't have, like, any crazy rainstorms or, you know, 100-degree days and, and stuff like that. And then the stability part is just that um, all the crops in that area have, have kind of stayed how they are. We haven't had anybody cutting silage yet or taking, it beans, taking out beans at this point. Um, so I think those deer just felt really comfortable moving around. Yeah. So, uh, so Spencer, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate the deer activity that night? <laughs> a one sixty-six in two days. Yeah, I think that's spot on. <laughs> well, uh, awesome, awesome stuff, dude. So, I, I want to say two things here. Number one, I'm proud to say that I'm forcing you into having a longer rut radio episode than you typically like. You are now approaching, by the time this is all said and done, because I know how long the usual things go, you're going to be approaching regular Wired to Hunt episode length, which I know you like to rag on us about. So I gotcha. I gotcha there. And secondly, with that being the case, I guess we should probably move on to our, our regularly scheduled programming. So, so what do we have in store? Well, we start in New York with David Giarizzo from Tag and Brag, and then we go to northern Minnesota to talk to Mike Fitzgerald from Bowhunter Die. Then we talk to Lindsey Thomas Jr. of QDMA in Georgia, and then we go to Oklahoma to talk to Clay Forrest of Stewart Ranch Outfitters. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm excited to hear these. I, I, I will give you a, a 10 to 15 second Michigan radio update, I guess, since I'm here. Um 
this past weekend was opening weekend in Michigan. We had these decently cooler temperatures that we were, you know, seeing in the forecast. This cold front finally dropped from like the 80s into the mid 60s. It resulted in pretty good movement. Um, I've heard from a number of people across the state that movement was pretty decent, maybe not excellent, but pretty good. Um, saw a lot of does, no bucks on opening night. And, um, that's kind of what's looking like the rest of the week. It's kind of middling temperatures, mid sixties, some bumping up into the seventies. So I'm not expecting terrific hunting conditions, but, uh, I'm anxiously awaiting the next cold front. So, so that's all I got, Spencer. Well, I, uh, I will leave it with this in on our intro. I had a friend of my dad tell me, he said, man, you shot a huge turkey this year and you shot a big buck and you got married. It's all downhill from here. So <laughs> yeah. Going to be a long fall now. I think you are absolutely right. So you don't even need to bother hunting anymore. You can just, you can just record podcast episodes from here on out. Okay. <laughs> all right, buddy. Talk to you later. Talk to you next week, Mark. Before we get to our first update though, let's pause for a word from our sponsors at Sitka Gear. And joining us this week is Sitka Ambassador Alex Templeton, who tells us about some much-needed tree stand therapy after a long week of elk hunting. So I was invited on a trip with one of my good friends out to Colorado for the month of September in 2014, and our plan was to spend almost a whole month out there bow hunting elk. And this was my first experience elk hunting, and uh, after hiking many, many miles up and down the mountains of Colorado, battling hot weather, cold weather, no bugles, and a bunch of other factors, um, I never ended up killing an elk, and I was super disappointed in myself. Um, obviously, I wanted to go out there and get it done, and I couldn't do it, and came back home to Missouri, and on my very first sit back at home in a tree stand, I ended up killing the biggest deer I had ever killed with my bow. Um, it was a buck that I had been watching all summer named Browse, and he had nine and a half inch brow tines on both sides. And, you know, it was, I went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in a matter of one sit back in my stand. So it was great. On Alex's hunt, she was wearing Sika's Equinox pants and Celsius jacket. If you'd like to create a Sika story of your own or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. And joining us on the line first is David Giarizzo, the co-founder of Tag and Brag. Now, David, in New York, what would you say the deer activity has been on a scale of 1 to 10 lately? Honestly, the past week, I, I think it's going to be like an 8 or an 8.5. And, and the only reason I don't push it a little higher than that is because we didn't see a ton of mature buck activity. But the deer were out all over the place the past couple of days for us. Um, we had some great activity. The food plots were heating up, um, and we saw some scrape activity. I mean, we were seeing 14 to 18 deer a night. And where we're, we're typically seeing, you know, five to six is, is can be a good night up there for the most part in New York. So um, this weekend, it, I mean, the deer activity was, was extremely high. Well, those sound like some really productive sits, but is that what you would expect for early October? Or is this year been an outlier for you guys? You know what? I It's been a little bit of an outlier. Honestly, we don't typically see the movement pick up on our property up there in New York until probably mid to late October because it's a lot of thick cover. Um, so we kind of think of it as the breeding grounds. Once those bucks start cruising and start expanding their home ranges, we see a lot more deer activity in there. But it was really intriguing to see this much activity you know, this early in the year, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the food plots that we've planted and really dialing those in, um, giving them cover 
or the food plot, so they're not pressured from the road has definitely helped. Uh, but the weather conditions this weekend were absolutely perfect with the with the cold front that we saw kind of come through the Midwest and then hit us up in New York. You mentioned the food plots a couple times now. What do you have growing there that you think the deer have, uh, you know, been so attracted to? So we have we have a combination of um, a brassicus blend, a lot of turnips, um, and then clover. And we found that the deer were in the turnips, but ultimately they eat through the turnips and spend a majority of their time in the clover, um, which was, you know, it's, it's cool to see that because we were up in a redneck line just kind of observing a lot this weekend. We didn't really, you know, get too aggressive. We just wanted to see what the deer movement was, was about and where the deer were coming out and what they were feeding on. And it was pretty intriguing to see that they were they were pretty sanctioned on the clover once they kind of established themselves in the food plot. Is this a new pattern for them, hitting the food plot so hard, or is this something you've been seeing for the last month? It's uh, The last month they've been hitting the food plots pretty hard. I would say the, the um, daylight activity has really ramped up in the last week or so. And, you know, once again, I think a lot of that is because of how much how colder uh, it got over the last week. Uh, we, we had two or three days in a row of a frost in the morning up in New York. So the deer, the morning activity was extremely high, which which I was pretty surprised about, actually. I mean, we were seeing a lot of deer between like 7.30 in the morning and, and 9.30, 7.30 and 9.30 in the morning. We were seeing probably a peak, a bulk of the activity through the day in that, you know, in that period of time. And then as it warmed up over the last couple of days, you know, the movement in the afternoon seemed to get closer and closer to dark. Um, where, you know, we, we sat on Saturday just to sit, but it was, it wasn't even season yet. We, we just jumped up, jumped up in the redneck, um, to, to kind of, uh, just look over the food plots and see where the deer were moving for opening day on Sunday. And, um, we saw a ton of deer starting at like five thirty six o'clock in the afternoon. So they were on their feet pretty early when it was cold out. You mentioned that the deer activity has been great, but not so much for buck activity. Um, what do you think those mature bucks are doing right now if you're not seeing them in daylight? You know, I think they're still holding tight. Um, I think they're just, we're starting to see they're kind of just breaking off of the younger bachelor groups that they were they were um, with throughout the summertime. So a lot of the mature bucks that we're seeing on camera now are by themselves. And a lot of the younger bucks are still together that we're, you know, that we've kind of observed over the weekend. So I think they're just kind of coming into their own. They're really starting to feel, you know, feel their hard horns. They're starting to feel their hormones and stuff. Um, and they're kind of sanctioning themselves because, you know, they know and they can feel what the next couple of weeks is going to bring. Well, going forward, David, in New York, what do you expect the buck activity to be on a scale of one to ten in this coming week? Honestly, this week, um, I think it's the buck activity is going to go down to like a five or a six, uh, especially with the warmer temperatures. I think you're going to start to see a lot more um, night activity. You know, the, the, the bucks, especially the mature ones, are going to start and continue to be more nocturnal. Um, and, you know, we're, we're at this point, we're going to kind of sit back and wait for that next little cold spell to come in or rain front or something just, just to kind of change up the weather patterns a little bit to hopefully spark something and get these bucks moving a little bit more. Well, I will be watching for some tag and brag videos and look forward to the rest of you guys' this season. Thanks for joining me, David. Awesome, Spencer. I appreciate you having us on. Okay, and joining us on the line next is bow hunter die team member Mike Fitzgerald. 
Now, Mike, in Minnesota, what would you say the deer activity has been on a scale of 1 to 10 lately? I would say this last week here, I, I would put it probably at a 7. Um, you know, we're kind of early October here approaching the quote-unquote lull, um, but I've been seeing some pretty good activity on my cameras and, and talking with people around the state um, through our forums. I've, uh, it seems like guys are seeing some buck activity more so than, than previous years. Well, Mike, I know you hunt in northern Minnesota. Just for reference to our listeners, will you explain the kind of um, setups that you have there and um, what the properties look like that you hunt on? Yeah, yeah. So I'm up here. I'm about 14 miles from the Canadian border near Ely, Minnesota. Um, and we're the you know definition of big woods wilderness hunting. Uh, our densities aren't aren't that great compared to other areas of the state but uh, it's just a byproduct of the of the environment that we're in um the the closest thing that i have to a concentrated food source up here would be a clear cut um that the forest service or private properties have done um the deer survive entirely on natural browse there are hardly even uh, food plots around here but uh if you take a drone shot or a satellite image of our area it's uh it's all trees it's mostly pine but we have some aspen and birch in there very very few um oaks there's a couple of scrub oaks on the property that our resort sits on here Um, and when i say very few i mean there's like four trees that i think i've ever found in that 80 acres (laughs) so they're uh they have a lot of natural browse they they like to feed on um you know, hazelnut, hazelnut bushes is one of their favorite things this time of year. Now that the leaves are dry, dropping, um, you know, those young aspen trees uh, get hammered pretty hard from now through through the winter, really. So that's where those clear cuts come in handy a lot. Well, are you seeing any um, October sign yet as far as scrapes and rubs? I'm finding a few of them. Um, no, no big concentrations, um, in my area. And again, with the deer density that I have, a lot of the sign I see those scrapes and rubs have more to do with the buck's particular personality. I've had a buck in this area a few years back that was just a scrape making machine and come like the second week of October through the ruts you couldn't walk 50 yards in any direction without running into one of his scrapes and ever since uh i shot him he uh there i haven't found nearly the concentration of scrapes that that uh, i did when he was around um but they're they're starting to show up i'm seeing a little bit of activity um i'm actually seeing a lot more daytime um, buck activity this year than previous years and so that that makes me hopeful and that's probably why i said this um, timing uh, a seven out of ten is uh, we're just not used to seeing m- mature bucks during daylight, so it's promising. <laughs> well, you talked about the randomness of food sources. Um, does that equate to a randomness in bedding too, or is that usually the same? Yeah, they're uh, for most of the season they can essentially they can feed anywhere they can bed anywhere they have you know like whitetails anywhere they like to have comfort of thick cover um, but you can find that within 100 yards circumference of just about anywhere that you're standing um, as the temperatures drop you can find them bedding on south-facing slopes a little bit more uh, if we have a hot 
um, early fall week. Um, the opposite of that, you get them on those ridges facing north where they get a little bit more shade throughout the day. Um, but outside of that, it's, it's hard. If you're going to put some miles on to get back into the woods, you're going to bump deer. There's just no way around it. How about going forward? Uh, what do you think the deer activity is going to be in a scale of one to 10 in this coming week or so? Um, I would probably maybe drop it to a five or six. Um, we're kind of hitting that, you know, whether you buy into the October lull or not, we're hitting that time where they're really starting to adjust. Bucks are going to start doing a lot of different traveling. So this is, uh, you know, over the next week or two, you might start seeing some of these bucks that you haven't seen, haven't been on your camera, some new bucks and the ones that have been there. Uh, they might be disappearing for a week or so. It seems as we get, start approaching towards that end of October, they get a little bit of anxiousness, and they they'll they'll go for a few days. They'll take a big loop somewhere into a new area. Just to they're they're starting to get jonesing for that first doe to come in, and they'll they'll go anywhere where they think they might find that doe. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Mike, and good luck in the big woods this fall. Hey, thanks, Butcher. I appreciate it. Before we get to our next caller, though, let's pause to thank our sponsors at Whitetail Properties. And this week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Andrew Schultz, who is going to be telling us about what advice he has for buyers who are looking at land in a competitive market like Illinois. Yeah, there's all kinds of things to consider when buying a piece of property, but a few of the main things that I would definitely be thinking about uh, are, number one, have your financing in order. Um, by doing that, you're positioned well to present offers to the seller, and it proves that you're serious and uh, ready to go. So that helps a lot. Um, know what you're looking for in a property. Uh, there's lots of properties out there, but it's going to help if you know specifics of exactly what you're looking for, what's attractive to you, and what's unattractive. When you're buying a farm, remember first and foremost that it's an investment. It's easy to fall in love with a property, especially one that you seem to like, um, but look for a return on that property. Look for the ability to resell it in the future if you need to, and uh, that's going to be important as well when buying a farm. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Andrew currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Schultz. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Okay, and joining us on the line next is Lindsay Thomas Jr., the Director of Communications for QDMA. Now, Lindsay, in Georgia, what would you say the deer activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Spencer, I'd say on a, on a 1 to 10 scale, we've got a couple of different things going on right now. I'd say the activity has been uh, higher, more of a uh, 4 to 5 in coastal Georgia, where the rut is going to be happening sooner. We have a mid-October to late-October rut in our coastal counties, so things are already picking up there. Uh, in the rest of the state, I'm a little uh, less optimistic in, in terms of activity, more of a two to three. Um, it's still fairly dry. We are still a, a few weeks off from the rut in most of Georgia, which is going to be in early to mid-November, and some areas of the state like southwest Georgia where it's even later into December. So right now in terms of rut activity, what it, that's on the coast where they're you know approaching soon. Um, but most of the rest of the state is still waiting. All right, well, you talked about it being dry right now. Is the whole state feeling that effect, even where those deer are rutting it? Yes. Um, you know, Hurricane Irma passed through on September 11th. 
uh, did a lot of damage, of course, and dumped a ton of rain. But that's the last rain we've had uh, in Georgia, and there's not any in the forecast for the next several days. So things were starting to get dry again quickly. Uh, folks who had already planted food plots, those food plots are going to be struggling here soon. And then I know a lot of people, too, that were waiting to plant until there was some more moisture on the horizon, and they're still waiting. Um, we've got a bumper acorn crop, so you know there's plenty of food out there. It's not a critical situation. We're not back in serious drought conditions, but uh, it's definitely dry. And of course, walking in the woods, you know, hunters know it's it's uh, sounds like you're walking on potato chips getting into your tree stand. But uh, not critical from a drought standpoint yet, but definitely getting dry. Well, what are hunters seeing in the area for uh, your typical rutting sign as far as scrapes and rubs? Again, seeing more of that right now. Uh, I was down at my family's land in southeast Georgia on September 16th uh, and did some bow hunting. It was still very hot then. Uh, a lot of water still around from the hurricane. Uh, but there were um, scrapes evident. Again, like down, like I said, down there in coastal Georgia, uh, we have a, a mid-October rut peak to, to mid to late October. So the rubs and scrapes were already happening. Um, and, you know, a lot of scrapes that I saw had water standing in them uh, and did not appear to have been worked since Irma passed through on September 11th. I've talked to some other friends who have got lots of trail camera pictures of bucks working scrapes in coastal Georgia over the last week or two. Uh, even some folks who believe they saw bucks tending some doves already in coastal Georgia. Uh, so, you know, we're approaching the peak on that in that area of the state. Um, elsewhere, I'm in, you know, where I live is in mid to north Georgia, and most hunters I've talked to in those areas are seeing what I'm seeing here, which is some very tentative early uh, scrape activity, just a few, you know, uh, a few scrapes here and there being worked and only lightly, uh, and a few rubs out there. Um, Hank Forrester, who's our uh, hunting heritage programs manager, was hunting this weekend with a person he was guiding who's a new hunter, and that was part of our field to fork program. And they killed uh, uh, Evan, who was the hunter, killed his first deer. It was a nice two and a half year old buck here in North Georgia. And Hank said the buck was just sort of meandering around, feeding on acorns, and no tarsal staining whatsoever. Uh, myself hunting this weekend did not see any bucks, but didn't get a feel that really much rut activity to speak of. Uh, Brian Grossman, who works with me, was hunting a public land hunt with his daughter this weekend in West Georgia. Same thing, very sparse uh, scrape and rub activity right now. So again, we're looking at a early to mid-November rut peak, so we're several weeks out from really getting hot and heavy, but it is beginning to pick up. Lindsay, let's do a hypothetical. Let's say that um, the state gets an inch of rain here this next week. How does that change things for hunters and change things for deer? For hunters, a lot of hunters are going to be happy. They're either going to be planting food plots that they were waiting to plant or food plots that were in the ground are going to green up. Um, so that will certainly change the game in terms of hunting strategy around food food plots, particularly as we go into the approach of our opening of gun season around uh, October 21st. Um, but we've got a bumper acorn crop, uh, particularly white oaks. And generally what I've found is if you've got those in the woods and they're falling, deer are generally going to choose those before they're going to choose food plots. So I think from a strategy standpoint, you need to pay attention to that. Uh, if you've got white oaks in your area, and I think this would go for most of the Southeast here, um, don't continue to expect your food plot to be an attraction. Watch the browse pressure on the food plot. And if you're not seeing the browse pressure, I wouldn't be hunting there or hunting uh, patterns around those plots until you begin to see pressure build there. Uh, 
the deer are going to be where the acorns are falling. Well, we just talked a little bit about what the deer activity might turn into, but what do you think on a scale of one to 10, uh, that deer activity is going to be in this next week or so? We've got some cool temperatures now where we did not have those before. Um, and I think, um, it's going to be nicer to be in the woods, but it's going to be, we're going to be seeing more rut activity coming on in the next week or two. I'm hoping, you know, by next week, we're going to be looking at a, uh, five to six on deer activity in, in most of middle and North Georgia and coastal Georgia should be seeing, uh, up in, in the sevens, I would guess, um, by next week. And then by the approach of opening day of gun season on the 21st should be, you know, eight or nine. That's going to be right in the peak of, of breeding for most of coastal Georgia. Well, Lindsay, you're clearly as plugged in as anybody there. So uh, thank you for joining me this week, and I hope you guys get that rain. Thanks a lot, Spencer. Good luck to you too. And joining us on the line last is Clay Forrest, the manager of Stewart Ranch Outfitters in Oklahoma. Now, Clay, what would you say the deer activity has been on a scale of 1 to 10 lately? Uh in the last uh, week or 10 days, um, it's picked up, I call it probably um, probably about a four, maybe a five right now. Um, I'm in the southwest part of the state, and uh, we, uh, we had a really good summer as far as rainfall, and uh, we weren't seeing a lot of deer movement coming to protein or, or corn feeders all summer, I believe, just because of uh, the natural vegetation out there. So um, in about the last week, we've had a, a week coming up. Uh, and that's really uh, increased our, our deer movement in the last probably week or 10 days. Previous to that wheat coming up, what were the deer hitting for food sources? Uh, just natural vegetation. Uh, like I said, we, uh, we, re- we have a lot of uh, green briars pretty popular around here. Uh, we've got just a lot of just native grasses, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, we don't have much of a mass crop here, so deer really stay in the, the CRP or big big native grass fields, and that's kind of where they bed and live pretty much all summer long. Well, are those wheat fields what you will be queuing in on um, basically throughout the season, or does that change? Uh, no, that's 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 our main point of interest. Uh, travel corridors coming in and out of wheat fields. Uh, do a lot of glassing, you know, getting up on big, big high points and glassing on wheat fields. So that's, that's definitely our, our main focus as far as uh, trying to get big deer killed throughout the season. Are you seeing any sign making pop up right now as far as rubs and scrapes? Uh, not really. Um, kind of like I said in, in the beginning, um, we, we really kind of struggled just to see deer in general uh, this summer. Like I said, we uh, had close to nine, somewhere between nine and 12 inches of rain from about May 15th to basically last week and uh some of the grass out here is over our head so really seeing a lot of sign uh it has been kind of uh, detrimental as far as that just because of what my mother nature did this summer um so not really <laughs> in, a, in a long rambling answer well clay at Stewart ranch outfitters there i know you guys run a lot of cattle how does that affect the deer movement when you guys start moving those cattle around do you see the deer uh, move into where those cattle just came off of uh we do you know and and it's a really cohesive unit for us um as far as the cattle and the deer i mean there are times where um cattle might kind of deter some deer hunting but that's very very small percentage so um to your point, cattle coming off some a pasture where it's been grazed down, we'll definitely see more deer sign uh, in that pasture just because it's been, it's been grazed off uh, previous previous to. So um, we really do try to do a good job as far as managing where cattle are going to be um, in, rel- in relation to uh, 
where our deer hunting areas or our primary deer hunting areas are at. So uh, we try to run our cattle there in the summertime and get them off for the fall and the winter uh, so we can hunt and not have any worries about a, a cow coming underneath the stand or something like that. But uh, it really works well for us. We do try to do a good job of that. Now, going forward in this next week or so, what do you think the deer activity is going to be in Oklahoma on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'm going to probably put it around a 4, maybe a 5. Um, we're expecting a little bit more rain this week. Uh, like I said, wheat patterns up. It's greened up pretty well um, in the last, like I said, about 10 days. Uh, so I, I would expect to see a lot of deer in those green fields. Uh, movement pretty decent. So I, I would probably put it about a 4 to 5. Well, Clay, I look forward to seeing the pictures from Stewart Ranch, and good luck this fall. Thanks, Spencer. Sure appreciate it. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired to Hunt's Rut Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Sitka, Whitetail Properties, Matthews, Yeti, Ontario, Whitetail Institute, Maven, and Trophy Ridge. And if you'd like to see that buck I just harvested, check out my Instagram at Spencer Newharth. We thank you all for listening, and as always, stay Wired to Hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.